0: Today I'm going to be reading from Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, take the lead in honoring one another, do not lack diligence and zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, instead associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live with peace with everyone. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Chelsea. Appreciate it. Good morning. My name is Drew Moss. I uh, work with a campus ministry called The Table that partners with Sunnybrook here in reaching students at OSU and, uh, (laughs) yep. I don't know if that's for Sunnybrook or The Table or OSU, what the woo was for there, but all of those things. We like all of them. Uh, I'm excited to get to dig into God's Word with you this morning. Uh, Sometimes you can be so familiar with a statement or a command from Scripture that you forget just how weird that statement or command really is. Uh, That You can lose sight of just how shocking the words would have been, how odd they would have sounded to the original audience, and really how odd they, they sound to people today who don't hear these things over and over again. For example, every, every week we come in here and we will say something as we hold up these things. We will say out loud to you, this is Christ's body, let's eat. We say, this is Christ's body. Blood, poured out for your sins. Let's drink together. Drink Christ's blood with me. And we say those things, we don't even think about how weird that sounds. But if someone were to just walk in and have no idea or context and never been around that, they would go, this is strange. This is odd. Jesus makes this statement uh, in, in a couple of different places in the gospel where he says, whoever wants to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven needs to become the least, needs to become the servant of all. And that's a weird statement. It's one that we usually actually take the weirdness out of by kind of interpreting it in a different way. The way we usually hear that is Jesus tells us not to try to be great. Instead, we should try to serve. It's not what he says. He says, actually, if you want to be great, here's how you become great. You become the lowliest of servants. So what Jesus says is up is down, right? To go up, you have to go down. That's odd, that doesn't make sense at first glance. There's a lot of things in the scriptures like that. I believe actually the primary command from our text today is one of those things. It is a command that is mentioned so frequently in scripture and it is so core to the Christian life that we rarely pause to think about how strange this command is. In fact, when I mention it, you're going to go, I don't get it. What's, What's so weird about that? It's one that comes up over and over again, and that's why over and over, time and time again, throughout this scripture, you and I are commanded to love. We're commanded to love God, and we're commanded to love people. And again, I know you're going, I, I don't get that. What's weird about that? It's, it's really a pretty simple and straightforward command. But it leads to this question, how do you command Affection. How can you place imperatives on the feeling? On, on the feelings that you have for a person or a thing. For example, if I were to walk over here after the service and, and pull one of these college guys aside and kind of put my arm around him and then point across the room to a girl and say, hey, you see that girl over there? Uh, man, she's a really great girl. She's godly. She loves the Lord. She's solid. Listen, man, you should go ask her out. Uh, depending on like the various levels of familiarity, how well I know him, how well I know her, that that might be like slightly uncomfortable, but it wouldn't be all that odd. You would get that. You would understand that, right? But if I were to walk over to that same guy and put my arm around him and say, hey, you see that girl over there? Uh, You need to walk over there and fall in love with her. And actually, no, I'm not just telling you like that'd be a good idea. I'm telling you if you don't do that, I'm gonna give you a week, and if you don't fall in love with her in the next week, then I'm gonna bring you in and, and myself and Jim and a couple others are going to have a confrontation with you and we're going to deal with this. And if you still, I know there's some girls in the room who are like, maybe we should do that. I think that would be a good idea. Uh, we, I, we're going we're to pull you in and if, and if you refuse, if you still refuse to repent of your sin, then we're going to bring you before the elders and we're going to face some church discipline. We're going to talk about whether you can be a member here anymore. Right? Like, if, if I do that, people are like, I think this might be a cult, right? Like, <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to just tell someone that they love, hey, he can't control how he feels about a person. He can't do those things. So, so, like, is that even okay to command those kinds of things? And yet we see this happen in the Scripture. And, and this is the question, how can you tell somebody who they should love or how they should feel about a given person or a given thing, and yet the Bible does. Time and time again, we're told this. In fact, Jesus will say in Matthew 22 that all the commands of scripture are really summed up in this. They all depend on these two. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Some of you, though, you know where I'm going with this. You're one step in front of me. You know what I'm about to say. You know this truth that the kind of love that the Bible is talking about is more than just mere feelings. And that's why it can command that. That this concept of love as feeling is a problem. In fact, there are a few things that have probably done more damage to our understanding of love, of our ability to love, than this popular concept that reduces love to an emotion that I feel. And it is a popular concept. Right, this is probably the primary image of love that is held out to us in movies and in songs, in TV shows, and in self-help books. Right, Even like self-help gurus who talk about the importance of loving yourself, what they mean by that is you ought to feel good feelings towards yourself. You ought to feel like warmth towards yourself. And the problem with this view is not, I mean, it's not primarily that it makes love a light and insignificant thing. Sometimes it does. Pop songs that turn, uh, that use the word love to describe infatuation or sexual attraction. Uh, the way we talk about how I love my wife in one sentence and the very next sentence I love tacos. Those kinds of things can make love like a light and insignificant thing. But really the, the bigger issue is when we turn love into feeling, what we actually often do in our culture is we make it a very deep and significant thing. A very, very strong thing, something that actually I cannot fully control, uh, something that is overwhelming and, and one of the most powerful forces in the world. Actually, that's if you, if you caught the song that they were playing today, I don't know how many of you caught Huey Lewis in the news, The Power of Love, that's what they were playing in here. That's a song that is all about how love is so powerful that it can make you do like crazy things. Uh, I think one of, the worlds, one, of the, one of the lyrics is, it's the power that makes the, love, uh, the world go round. Uh, another one, the pre I actually I just looked it up but when they were playing it earlier. I was like, what all does that say? Uh, the the pre-chorus, the little line is that it's strong and sudden and cruel sometimes. And this is the understanding of love that the world has. It's an understanding that often turns love into something that I have no control over. Something that I am almost at the mercy at, really. Mercy of. Uh, it kind of have its hold on me. Love is something that I fall into. I can't help that I fell in love with this person. And on the other hand, I I can't help when I fall out of love with that person. I can't help what my heart feels. The heart wants what it wants, and it doesn't want what it doesn't want. And so you'll have spouses saying to the person that they are married to after 16, 17 years, the truth of the matter is I just don't love you anymore as though there's nothing they can do about it, as though it would almost be hypocritical of them to stay in this marriage when that does not line up with where their heart really is. And what am I supposed to do about that? Or on the flip side, you'll have uh, you'll have people, Christians in the church who, who love the Lord and want to follow the scripture who will uncritically support or affirm their children as they live in active rebellion against God who will uncritically support and affirm their friends as they walk uh, walk away from the Lord or walk against the scriptures because what am I supposed to do? I love them. This is the view of love that the world often offers to us, but that is not what love is. Love is not something that I have no control over, not according to the scriptures. Throughout the Bible, love is consistently defined in terms of action. We saw that actually in the text that, just, that Chelsea just read to us from Romans 12, verses nine through 10. Paul starts off by telling the Roman Christians that they ought to love one another, but he does not just leave it at that. He goes on to spell this out. This is what it means to love them. It means in verse nine that you detest evil. You don't affirm it or support it. You detest it and you cling to what is good. It means that you seek to honor one another in verse 10. In verse 13, it means that we share with our brothers and sisters in need, that we show hospitality to them. In verse 16, that we live in humility and harmony. In verse 17, it means that we refuse to get even with those who've wronged us. All of these things have to do with our actions towards one another that's why Paul will say just one chapter later in Romans 13, 8 through 10, that the entire law, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't murder, don't covet, all of it is summed up in love. How we treat one another. This is also true of our love for God, that it is something that is Demonstrated that takes place by our actions towards him. Moses will say to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 11.1, 1, therefore, love the Lord your God and always keep his mandate and his statutes, ordinances, and commands. This is what it is to love the Lord your God. Keep his commands, keep his statutes. Jesus will say something very similar in John 14.15. If you love me, you will keep my command. Commands. And the reason that love is consistently defined in terms of action is because that's the way that God loved us. But the primary example of this, of course, is Christ's ultimate act of love for us that Scott talked about a few weeks ago. Christ's dying for our sins. And that is love, for God so loved the world in this way that he sent his only son to die for us. That's John 3.16. A beautiful summary of this whole idea is actually found in 1 John 3.16, which says this, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then two verses later, verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Time and time again, the Bible tells us that to love someone is to behave in a specific way towards them, to act in a way that is for their good, even when it's hard, even when I don't feel it. So the person who says to their spouse, I just don't love you anymore. If they're going to be biblically accurate and honest, what they should really say is, the truth is, I don't feel like loving you anymore. And so I refuse to do so. So I refuse to obey God's command to continue loving you. The person whose child or whose friend is walking in unrepentant sin, if they want to love them well, what they should say to them biblically is, I will never stop loving you which means I will never stop speaking truth to you about your sin, even when it's hard, even when it's painful. We must, church, we must redeem the word love back from our culture's empty, weightless, sentimental definitions. To love is to act. And you cannot read the scriptures without coming to this conclusion. And yet... And this is where it gets a little bit tricky. You also can't read the scriptures without seeing that feelings matter. That the way we actually feel about another person matters. That love is more than just a list of things that I do or don't do. That there ought to be some level of warmth in me towards you as my brother or sister in Christ. Maybe you caught this. When we read the text earlier in Romans 12, look at the first couple verses there, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil and cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters outdo one another in showing honor. So he says in verse 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. So he's gonna go down through the rest of the verses and he's gonna give specific actions that love is, but he says at the beginning that those actions ought to be lining up with something that is happening in your heart. That ought to be true with the way that you actually feel about one another. And then in verse 10, maybe even more significantly, where he says, love one another with brotherly affection, or uh, yeah, that's in, in the Greek, literally, it says this, uh, with brotherly love, love one another. With brotherly love, love one another. There's actually two words for love that are used in there. The first one is one that you know. With brotherly love, that's the word Philadelphia, right, from which we get that, city of brotherly love. So with Philadelphia, love one another. And, and that second word, though, for love is an interesting one. It's philostorge. It's a really rare word, but in Greek literature, that word is used to describe familial love. Specifically, it's used to describe the kind of tender affection that takes place between a parent and a child, between a child and a parent. The amount of the kind of warmth and, and, and tenderness and, and kindness, that's, that's the kind of love that's being described. And here in Romans 12, Paul is commanding you to feel that way about the people in this room putting a demand on your feelings, a demand on your heart that it would be this way towards others. And this is not the only place that we see commands like this. 1 Peter 1.22 says this, since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere, that word means like without hypocrisy, it's actually the exact same word we just read in Romans 12.9, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly. And that last word in the Greek constantly is probably better translated earnestly, fervently love one another. Of course, we are not only to love our brothers and sisters like this, but we're also to love God this way as well. What is the the greatest commandment there in all the Bible? Jesus says, it's from Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart With all your soul and with all your strength. Yes, with your strength. Yes, act. Yes, with your soul, with your life. But also love him with your heart, with your feelings, with your affection. This shouldn't surprise us. Love might not be all feeling, all emotion, but we know that the way that you feel about a person matters. I heard it described this way one time. Imagine that for uh, Amy and I's anniversary, I decide to take her out uh, August 4th. Okay, August 4th will be our 17th anniversary. Imagine that day, that day comes and I decide to take Amy out and I come home and I've got flowers for her when I come home from work that day and I give those to her and then I take her out to like a nice restaurant. We go on a, a date, a, a really a great place and hang out, spend the evening there and then at the end of the night, I've got a gift that I've bought for her and I pull out this gift and I hand it to her I do all these things for her and, and then towards the end she sits there and she just goes Oh you shouldn't have babe This is, this is so kind you did, not, you did not have to do all this And then I look across the table And I look her in the eyes and I go eh, Actually I kind of did I mean I am your husband It's kind of my job to do these things right So I mean it's, And it's our anniversary you know So, so I want to love you so I got flowers Check uh, Took you out to dinner check Bought you a gift check. You have been loved, right? You're welcome. Love you next year, right? Like, like there's something, you get it, right, as I say that. There's something wrong with that. There's something that's not... Right about those things because even though all of those things are good and it's good and right for me to express love to her through those actions, ultimately she doesn't want the flowers. Ultimately, she doesn't want the gift or the date. Ultimately, what she wants is my heart. She wants to know that like those things are flowing from a heart that actually cares for her, a heart that actually has like affections for her. And this is one of the things that Jesus railed on the Pharisees for for doing all the right things without the heart behind it. Luke 11:42 But woe to you Pharisees, you give a tenth of mint, rue and every kind of herb and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. He says, these things you should have done, it's not bad that you were giving. It's not bad that you were tithing your stuff away. That's great. You should have done that. But it's possible, Jesus says, to do all those things without having a love for God in your heart. It's not only possible, it's wrong when that happens. That we ought to have those things. That's what God wants from us. Yes, he wants our obedience, but he wants our hearts And he wants our hearts not just for himself, but he wants our hearts for his children. He wants our affections for his loved ones. He wants us to love our brothers and sisters in this room and outside of this room with that same kind of love. Maybe you've heard this statement. Or maybe you've heard it or or said it yourself in regards to a friend, uh, a Christian, a member in this church. It just kind of gets on your nerves gets under your skin a little bit, and you know you know what the Bible says, I'm supposed to love them, and so maybe you've said something like this, just because I'm supposed to love them doesn't mean that I have to like them. Actually, yes, you do. According to the scriptures, yes, I think you do. And it doesn't mean that you gotta be best friends with them, it doesn't mean we're all gonna click and our personalities are all gonna be exactly that, but, but I do believe that it means there ought to be some level of brotherly concern and care and affection for that person that I hold, that I care for them in that way, which brings us back to this question that we asked at the very beginning. How do you command a feeling? How do you demand that I feel a certain way about certain people or certain things? Actually, the Bible does this a lot. The Bible's got no problem commanding our feelings. Throughout the scriptures, we're we're told that we ought to feel certain things, says we ought to hate some things. Actually, we, we just read that in Romans 12, verse 9, to detest what is evil. If you feel okay with sinful things, if you feel all right, or if you even enjoy certain things, the Bible says you're feeling wrong, and you ought to feel differently. You ought to hate those things. Throughout the scriptures, we're told to have joy in the Lord. Be happy, the Bible says, I don't know if I feel happy. doesn't matter. You should. It might not be every second of every day, right? You may not always feel it up here. We'll get to that in just a second. But the Bible doesn't mind actually commanding us that there ought to be a joy in the Lord in us. Mourn. Be sad, the Bible says sometimes. When you see that you have wronged someone, when you see that you were living in sin, there ought to be some level of sadness in that, sorrow in that. When you see a brother or sister who is suffering, uh, our text right here, Romans 12, tells us we ought to mourn with those who mourn. And throughout the scriptures, one of the most frequent commands, actually some some say actually this is the most frequent command in scripture, do not be afraid. Uh, Regardless of how you feel, don't let that feeling overwhelm you. The Bible says. And so it tells us time and time again how we ought to feel, that we should feel a certain way about certain things. And this is where you might be freaking out a little bit and asking inside your heart, What if I don't feel that way? What if I don't feel tender affection towards my brothers and sisters in this room? What if instead I feel bitterness? What if I feel anger? What if I feel apathy? towards the things of God or towards the people of God? If I'm annoyed, what if I don't feel passionate about God and his kingdom? What am I supposed to do? Like, I, I, I'm trying. I feel like I'm trying to do all the right things. I'm trying to, to obey this. I want to do right. I want to honor him. And so I'm trying to obey him. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to like, get up and come to church and sing the songs and do all those things. So I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But what if I'm not feeling what I'm supposed to feel? That's a big question. And the one that needs to be thought through before we get to that, I want to try to answer. I want to try and give, give us some help with those things if you're in that spot today, which, by the way, I think we all will be in that spot at times. But I wanna give us some answers to that. First, I wanna just clarify what I mean when I talk about feeling the right things about God. Uh, Christians have actually been wrestling this for a long time and writing through these. What are we supposed to feel and how are we supposed to feel them in those things? And so a lot of writers, particularly like the Puritans writing about 300 years ago, spent a lot of times talking about this. And they would differentiate between uh, emotions and affections. So those are two different things. Emotions and affections. And emotions are those things that kind of bubble up to the surface that we feel like right at the top of our hearts. And those are the things that often spill out and, and we kind of feel all through our body. Like if you remember like your first crush and, and like kind of that, that puppy love moment where you just feel like butterflies in your stomach and all those things. That's, that's more emotion. Or maybe you remember like the first, uh, you know, going to like Youthquake, going to some form of camp and, and that moment where you just feel like this emotional high from the things that you're hearing and learning and you feel so close and connected to God. That's, that's more emotion. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Those can be good things. I am so grateful for some of the emotional high moments that I've experienced that have kind of propelled me forward in things. But those, those themselves don't last very long. Those are fleeting. They're kind of superficial. They come and go. And they're actually, our emotions, the the Puritans would say, that our emotions are not actually, um, they are not always in line with what we truly believe. And you know this. Um, you, You can believe certain things about God. I can believe that God loves me but not feel it. And that's an emotion. It's, it's not in line with the things that I feel. I can believe that I shouldn't worry but, and that God is in control and that he's over all things. And yet, that's not what my emotions are doing right now. I'm still really freaking out in this moment. That's, that's how those things work. Affections are different, though. Affections are something that is deep-seated. It's, it's something that kind of comes from the gut. It's a steady Desire towards something, a steady feeling towards something that, that remains. And it, it may not always be like up at this level. Sometimes it will kind of bubble up into emotions, but sometimes it, it kind of goes up and down, and that's okay. But the affections remain. I continue to love, I continue to desire something. And these affections are consistent with what I believe. There's something, emotions are something that I might not always have control, they can be kind of spontaneous and come and go. Affections are something that I can actually cultivate that I can develop and that I can grow a little bit in. Actually, this is where the idea of storge love, that familial love that Paul describes in Romans twelve ten, is actually kind of helpful. If you have kids, you know this. If you have kids, you know that there is a deep-seated affection inside of you for them. That You feel a deep love for them and it is rooted in this truth, in this thing you know and believe that this is your son or your daughter that this is your flesh and blood, your child. And, and, and kids feel the same way towards their parents. They have a deep affection and love for them. You may feel this towards a brother or sister, a sibling of yours, this, this deep love for them. But let's be real for a second. We don't always feel that like up at the surface. We don't always feel just like gushing feelings towards those people we love, do we? There are moments like when that... that infant that you love more than anything else in the world is driving you crazy because they're not letting you sleep at three in the morning. Or that toddler that you feel these deep warm affections for is throwing fits constantly. There are times when your parents drive you nuts. There are times when your siblings say stupid things And you don't just feel all warm and fuzzy. You don't feel real tender towards them in that moment. You might be frustrated. You might be angry. But ultimately, no matter what your kid is doing, there is still this deep affection that you have towards them that will bubble up in emotion at times. When your kid's heart is breaking, your heart breaks. When your kid experiences success and joy in life, you can't help but feel that with them. And this is what is described, this is what we ought to feel. It's not that we always feel like just on the edge of our seat excited to see one another at church. It's not that we always feel like this, like ready to just burst into tears, happy to see each other all the time. It's not always going to work like that. There might be times when we're even frustrated with each other. But just like an actual blood family, hopefully there is a deep-rooted affection for one another. This is what we are called to to, to, to have, that we ought to desire to draw near to each other. We ought to desire to draw near to God, to have more of Him, that we ought to be the kinds of people who care about each other so much that when you rejoice, I rejoice, Paul says. And when you mourn, I mourn. Because my brother, my sister is hurting, and I hurt with them. So back to the question what if I don't feel that? What if I don't feel those kinds of feelings or affections towards God? towards my brothers and sisters? What if, what if I feel more anger, annoyance, coldness towards them? A few different things that I think are worth talking about and I believe helpful if we find ourselves in that spot, which, again, I, I believe all of us will at times. I believe there will be a number of times when we we don't always feel um, completely warm and tender and excited towards each other. Those things come and go a little bit. And and when we find ourselves, though, consistently feeling cold or apathetic towards the church or towards the things of God, there, there are a few different things that we can do. The first is this. Repent and pray for the Spirit's help. This is one of the good news. It feels sometimes like I can't control what my heart wants and what my heart desires. But one of the really like, beautiful pieces of good news from the Bible is that the Holy Spirit has the ability to change my heart. That's the promise from Ezekiel 36, that, that God would come one day and he would send his spirit and replace the heart of stone within his people and take that and give them a new heart, a, a heart of flesh that would want the right thing, that would love the right things, that would hate the wrong things. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit does that for us, that he does that when you become a believer in Christ, but then I think he has the ability to continue to shape that heart. So when you see in you that you do not love people well, that you do not care for people well, whether it's with your actions or with your affections towards them, one of the things you can do is confess that to God and ask for his help. I believe he wants to do those things. I believe he will help you in those things if you seek that. Number two, if you do not feel love towards God or others, the, one of the best things you can do is act as though you do. I know what you're thinking here. Wait, Drew, you just spent like 15 minutes telling us that you should have just act a certain way without feeling it. And that's true. But I'm telling you that to do this is not hypocritical. Hear me out for just a second. Uh, it's true, actually, that, that when a parent, when parents bring home a child from the hospital, Um, That that kid, that infant gives nothing to those parents Has like no contribution to them Is not showing any sort of love whatsoever All they do is uh, scream and demand things And poop their pants And like keep you up at night And all of those things over and over and over again And and, and it's true that actually, so, you know, you could ask the question, well, then why do parents care for their kids like that? Why do they take care of them if they don't give anything back? It's because they love them. And the love causes them to do these things. But I want to argue, and I believe this is true, that that works in reverse, too. That doing these things causes them to love them. That... One of the reasons parents love their children so much is because even from the earliest stages, they have emotionally invested their lives, their hearts, their times into this person. And I think that the same works with our, our treatment of one another, God and others. C.S. Lewis is the one who says this. If you, if you struggle to love another person, the best thing you can do is act as though you already do, and you will find that over time, the affections will follow the actions. As you begin to do these things, as you begin to act in a certain way and emotionally invest in another person that those feelings begin to follow. So one of the best things to do when you do not feel like singing and praising God, when you, you don't feel like your heart is very in it. One of the best things you can do sing and praise God anyway. One of the best things you can do when you wake up on Sunday morning, and the last thing you feel like doing is coming here and sitting next to a bunch of people and greeting them and and asking them how they're doing and trying to encourage people, one of the best things you can do is get up, go to church and sit with your brothers and sisters love them and ask them how they're doing and ask them how you can pray for them. That's one of the best things you can do in those moments. And let the heart begin to be shaped and formed by the Holy Spirit as you pray to him and as you act on the things you know you're supposed to do even if your heart hasn't caught up to it yet. It can, it will. Over time, here's the last thing that we can do when we're struggling to feel the right things is focus on your beliefs, not your emotions. And this again feels counterintuitive at first because whenever I don't feel something, the, the gut reaction is to try to fix the feeling. When I'm standing there and I'm singing songs about God and I don't feel very... Um, in love with him, when I don't feel a passion for him, the, the, the response is to go, what's wrong with my feelings? I gotta fix these things, I gotta do something, to see if I can kind of feel it a little bit more, if I can really try a little bit more to feel these things, that's, that's kind of the response that we actually do, but, but that never actually works very well. The, the goal is not to feel certain emotions in the moment, the goal is to, over time, cultivate affections for God and for other people. So picture, for for example, like a beautiful sunset setting over, like, the Colorado mountains. And to be able to sit there and watch that. And and most of you, if if you've ever been able to, to see that and witness that, you know, like, the feelings of awe that can come over you in that moment. Just to sit there and stare at the majesty of this whole thing and to just be kind of, like, caught up in that. And be completely kind of affected and sometimes even almost overwhelmed by the things you're seeing. And it has the ability to evoke powerful feelings inside of you. But if you, if you were to go and look at that same sunset over those same mountains and spend the entire time asking yourself, how do I feel about this? Is that giving me a lot of awe? Am I really overwhelmed by this? How, do I, how is that making me feel in this moment? Is that really cool? Do I think that's cool? Am I really enjoying this? If you spend your time sitting there evaluating how you feel about the sunset, guess what? You don't get to feel very much about the sunset. You're distracted by how you feel. If you want to feel amazing things about a sunset, don't focus on your feelings. Focus on the sunset. It's actually, this is the way the scriptures describe it over and over again. You want to feel your heart stirred towards the things of God? Don't spend all your time focusing on your heart. Focus on God. The Bible calls us time and time, even though it says we should feel certain things, what it commands us to do is to set our minds and our hearts on him. We focus on him and his great love for us in Jesus and the extravagance of his mercy that he poured out on us and the way that he adopted us into his own own family. 1 John 3, 1, behold, look, see, how great is the love that the Father has had on us that we should be called sons and daughters of God, and that is what you are, John says. And so we focus on him, and we focus on the truth, and we focus on our beliefs, the same with our brothers and sisters. When you find yourself at odds with, when you find yourself annoyed with, when you find yourself frustrated and having a hard time loving someone, one of the things that I really believe is important for you to say, both in your mind and out loud over and over again, is that is God's son. She is God's daughter. That is my father's child. And if he loves her deeply, then I I, want to love her too. It's my sister of Christ. I may just need to say that over and over again. That's God's son. That's God's daughter. That's God's child over and over again to remind myself of those truths. So why does it matter that we love like this? Both with action and with feeling? Why does it matter that we both try to do the right thing and that we want to actually have real affections? And the answer, of course, is because that's how God loves us. It's true what we said, that God's love is defined by Christ's love in coming to die for us, that it's that action that really shows us God's love. But, but his love was not just um, some formulaic checklist he didn't love us by going, they need Jesus to come, check, they need him to die, check, they need him to resurrect, now they've been loved. Ephesians 2, 4-5 says the whole reason any of that happened, it says because of God's great love for us. It was warmth, it was tenderness, it was deep affection for you that sent Jesus to come die on the cross for you. And the reason that we ought to love like this is because in doing this, we are bearing witness to the fact that God has loved us in this way. When I love you, not just with my actions, but also with my feelings, not just in kind of tenderness, but also in sacrifice, when I do those things, it is demonstrating the way that God has loved me and the way that God has loved you. It is demonstrating that God has adopted you into the same family that he has adopted me that by Christ's great death, he has redeemed us both, and therefore we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and I will love you that way. That's what we remind ourselves of every time we share this meal together. We do share this meal together. It's one of the reasons that here at Sunnybrook, we... We have everyone partake together. It's a reminder of the fact that we're all in this together for the same reason because the same God, the same Father who loved you deeply, loved me deeply. And so we share in this meal to remind ourselves of that great truth. And so, brothers and sisters, and I mean that, my brothers, my sisters, this is Christ's body given for us. Let's take and eat together. And brothers and sisters, this is Christ's blood poured out for our forgiveness that we might be adopted into the very family of God. Let's strengthen this together. And now, brothers and sisters, let's spend a few minutes staring at the sunset. Let's spend a few minutes focusing on the God who loved us the way he does so that our hearts might be stirred to love him and one another in return. Stand and sing with us.